Great. If you want to uh, grab your Bibles and turn them to Luke chapter 19, we're going to read this uh, together. Beginning at verse 28 to 40. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it there, here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? Then they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put it, Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. What an amazing passage that is. And that passage is all about Jesus and Jesus being the king. He is the king. And uh, coincidentally, this is what everyone seems to be talking about at the moment. Uh, because I don't know if you're aware, but Kanye West has recently released his album, his ninth album. And it was uh, named, does anyone know? Jesus is king. And he said this about his new album. He said, this album has been made to be an expression of the gospel and to share the gospel and the truth of what Jesus has done to me. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he does for me, my soul cries out. Wow, that's incredible, isn't it? And if you know anything about Kanye's previ previous life, the life before he became a Christian, he said it was like this. He said, I tried it my own way. It's not working out. Everything is in shambles. I'm ending up in debt, making this money, but still ending up in debt. My public standing is in shambles. I'm not in good shape. I'm having ups and downs with my health. People calling me crazy. People not wanting to sit with me. I had a rude spirit that I needed to work on. My mum had passed a year before. And um, some people uh, drown themselves in drugs, but I drown myself in addiction. Sex, that's what fed me the ego. Money, clothes, cars, accolades, social media, paparazzi, photos, going to Paris Fashion Week, all of that. He said, with God, I've been able to beat things that had full control of me. Here we have a man who has discovered 
the real king of his life, the one true king. And what a transformation God has done in his life. You see, this passage we've just read, it doesn't just tell us that Jesus is king. It tells us what makes Jesus a king. You see, on one hand, we've got the magnificence of the king. We, we hear that the, the crowds worshipped him. And on the other hand, we see this meek and lowly figure riding in on a donkey. You can't get any more opposite ends of the scale of a king, can you? Yet these two things are brought together in the same person. And that's what makes Jesus great. That's what makes him king. Because he's the only one who can solve all of your problems. And tonight, my aim is to try and show you all, show us all, that it's actually Jesus whom we're seeking in this life. We're all seeking Jesus to be king of our lives. And that's exactly what we've just witnessed uh, just before, uh, a few moments ago, with Flo and Tom being baptised. They have recognised that it is Jesus and only Jesus who can be king of their lives. C.S. Lewis said this, Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. I wonder if we relate to that. So in order to show you this point, I'm going to um, go through d three different uh, questions with us tonight. And the first one is, what is true kingliness? The second one is, how does kingliness appear in Jesus? And thirdly, how can it appear in us? So the, the first one, what is true kingliness? Now, we all want true kingliness, don't we? Over us, in us, around us. The true king is the one who is the bravest, yet the most tender. The fiercest, yet the meekest. The true king is the one who is strong in battles, yet cries and is full of compassion. And why do we want to be in the presence of a true king? Because there has never been one except for Jesus. And we long for this because the world is longing for Jesus. And it's very different, difficult, isn't it? To be both majestic and humble. Yet the reality is, that is exactly who Jesus is. Tim Keller, an amazing uh, pastor uh, in America, said this, The problem is, we want to be king and queen of our own lives. I know I relate to that. I like the idea of being a king, king of my castle, all that kind of thing. And every single day of my life, I fall victim to this. And if we look at our own lives and if we're honest with ourselves, we want to be king and queens of our own environments, over our futures, over what we do and what we have, what we spend and what we buy, what we sell, everything. We have a tendency to think that we can be king and queens of our own lives. And the reality is there is no true king other than Jesus Christ. 
I don't know about you, but as a kid, I loved uh, The Lion King. I used to have it on repeat every single day uh, of my life as a child. Uh, I knew that the film, word by word, the songs, the lyrics, everything. And um, in that film, Simba, we see Simba, this young uh, lion cub, and all he wants is to be king. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. And isn't that just like us? We sometimes parade around in life, don't we, thinking it's all about me. And we make kings and queens of our own lives. If we skip to the book of uh, Revelation, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, the author John says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Is that what he expected? A lamb that was slain? Didn't he expect a lion with a roar? You see, he was expecting this lion, yet he saw a lamb. But Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. He's the same person. The lion who's the lamb and the lamb who's the lion. This idea of kingliness is unique to Jesus. You see, even the Egyptian, ancient Egyptian gods didn't have this idea of true kingliness. And even the, the early kings in our own nation in this land, they were battle kings. They were mighty in power, riding on horses with weapons. Yet this oxymoron of mighty yet meek doesn't fit anywhere else other than the perfect King Jesus. It doesn't arise from anyone else other than Jesus, the one who is the greatest, yet the gentlest, the mightiest, and yet the meekest. And that's what true kingliness is. And we see it in Jesus. So this leads us on to think and ask the question, well, how does then true kingliness appear in this figure, Jesus Christ. You see, it's in Jesus and in Jesus alone that we see this. In the passage, we hear of Jesus going out and getting on the back of a young donkey. You might think a very meek and humble thing for him to do. Yet all Jesus was doing in this moment was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. It was written in the very books that Jesus himself would have read. You see, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, which was written 500 years before Jesus was even born, it said this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, what Jesus was doing in this moment was fulfilling Old Testament scripture. And this is just mind-blowing. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Yet how can a king be riding triumphantly on a donkey? You know, when you think of a king, you don't think of him riding on a donkey. 
How is the one who is meant to free us from everything that enslaves us arrive on a donkey? You might even think it's laughable. Surely our saviour, the people at the time would have been thinking, was meant to arrive and, and be mighty and be powerful. This was meant to be a battle warrior. Perhaps people were looking at this guy and saying, where's your battle horse? Yet you come in on a donkey. This is Jesus, the true king. You see, he knows what he's doing. He's making a point, he's fulfilling scripture, and he's declaring, I am the king. You see, people were anticipating their king to come and liberate them from the Romans, to set them free from years of oppression. Yet the one who is proclaimed king, the Messiah, arrives on a donkey. And what he's saying in doing this is he's saying, I've come not to save you from political oppression because you're still going to die. What he's saying is, I have come to set you free. I have come to die for you, to take your place so that you can live. That's the true king. No earthly king would do that for you. But King Jesus has done that. And you see, he's done it because he's bothered about you. Bothered about your personal oppressions in life. The king is bothered about you. In doing this, Jesus is saying, I've come to get rid of death, not the Romans. I've come to get rid of death and bring life. In doing this, he's saying, I will put myself in the very place where you should be. You see, Jesus comes to take our place. He's both the lion, the mighty one, yet he's the lamb who was made slain for you. John Stott, an amazing theologian who's um, no longer with us now, he said this, for the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Wow. You know, in this passage that we read, Luke 19, it said, some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Yet he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Psalm 96, again, one of the, the pieces of biblical text that Jesus himself would have read on a regular basis says this, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea roar and all that is in it. Let the fields rejoice and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. 
And I raise this because there's a challenge in this for us. Because there's an option for us all to be like the Pharisees and grumble at this king, this King Jesus. Or there's an option for us to be like people like Kanye West and say, yes, this is Jesus and he's the king. You see, the reality is, even if we don't worship this king, we've just read the rocks will. And how embarrassing would it be for us to be outdone by a rock? And that's a challenge for us, isn't it? Don't be outdone by a rock. You see, wherever Jesus is, he brings life. He says, I have come to give life and life in all of its fullness. And don't we long for that? Don't we long to live this life where we're fulfilled? And that's what we've seen today. We've seen Tom and Flo lay down a life that promises everything but delivers nothing to take up a new life full of life with Jesus at the centre, King Jesus. You see, yes, Jesus is the one who can move mountains, who can make the seas roar, make the trees sing. But he's the one who let the little children come to him. He's the one who dines with sinners. He's the one who associates himself with social outcasts, willing to be our friends, and even then allows himself to be mocked, pierced, and crucified for you and for me. You see, the crowds were so interested in this figure of Jesus. He just recently raised this man from the dead, Lazarus. And people were flocking around him, gathering, thinking, they must have been thinking, what on earth is this man? What power does he possess? And you see, what he was doing in riding into Jerusalem was he was making a declaration. He was making a statement that he is coming to raise us from the dead too. And that's our king. That's King Jesus. Now, I don't know where you're at with King Jesus. Maybe you're living a life with him at right the center of your life, just as Flo and Tom are now. Or maybe you're not, and you're just exploring this whole faith thing. Maybe you've just walked through these doors, and you don't know why on earth you've ended up in a church, and you're hearing some guy in a bright red jacket talk about Jesus as king. But I want to ask you this, wherever you're at in your faith journey, can true kingliness come into our lives? Can it come into your life? And can it come into my life today? And the simple answer is yes. But let me show you how. Tim Keller also said this. He said, we won't care about our position on earth if we understand our position in heaven. Who is your king? Are you taking your cue from the king of the universe or the king of this world? Who are you taking your cue from? The king of the universe or the king of this world?
Now, when the queen of our country, when she was crowned at her coronation, many, many things uh, with, with biblical uh, connection happened in that coronation ceremony. And one of the things is that the queen in that moment of her coronation was given a ring. And the Archbishop of Canterbury said to her these words, Receive the ring of kingly dignity and the seal of Catholic faith. And as you are this day consecrated to be our head and prince, so may you continue steadfastly as the defender of Christ's religion, that being rich in faith and blessed in all good works, here it is, you may reign with him who is the king of kings, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, in that moment, as she was crowned queen, not only of the nations of the United Kingdom, but crowned head of state of many nations around the world, she acknowledged in that moment that she was bowing at the feet of a greater king, the king of kings. And you see, only Jesus can create kingliness in us by riding in your hearts today. So let me ask you this. Where is your king? Is it you? Is there something else you are worshipping other than Jesus? Or is your king Jesus? Tim Keller said this. Where's the true king? The question is the most disturbing question possible to a human heart, since we want at all costs to remain on the throne of our own lives. We may use religion to stay on that throne, trying to put God in the position of having to do our bidding because we are so righteous rather than serving him unconditionally. Or we may flee from religion become atheists and loudly claim that there is no God. Either way, we are expressing our natural hostility to the lordship of the one true king. And that is the question. It's not about who we are, but whose we are. Who are we slave to? What are the things we turn to give, that give us that fix, that fulfillment in life? Because only Jesus can be the true king of our lives. And you may be sat here now and thinking, well, how? How can I make that happen? Accept Jesus into your life. And only then will he come into your life as both the lion and the lamb. You see, we live in this world now of, of the now and the not yet. We know that as Christians, there's more to come. And Jesus first came riding in on a donkey, yet he's going to come back. And he's going to come back riding on a cloud. You see, Jesus came first to be torn apart, quite literally his body on the cross 
yet he's going to come back and he'll tear apart and usher in his new kingdom. So who's your king? And will Jesus come riding into your life today? I wonder. Because quite seriously, it is only you who can make that decision.